This morning's uh, scripture comes from Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. The word of the Lord. Can you see it? There's so much great found in the small. A full life of potential in a heartbeat. A massive tree in an acorn. Trillions of atoms in a speck of dust. So much said in a look. So much history in a scar. So much comfort in silence. The faith to move mountains in a seed. The greatest gift in pennies. A timeless sacrifice in a few breaths. The greatest of man in a servant. The universe is great in the small. Stars 1,000 times the size of Earth, just specks in the sky. Salvation in the simplest of prayers. The gift of eternity in an instant. Freedom from bondage in a choice. Fullness of life in the darkest of times. Power of resurrection in a word. The greatest significance in the smallest of steps. Can you see it? May we all come to see the great in the small. Glad you're with us today. I'm, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here at Garfield Memorial Church. So glad you're worshiping with us, whether in person, whether uh, on your couch, or I hope if you're in your car, you're just listening to audio. Um, but we're just glad to be together. Hey, we've got some great news this week, man. We're getting on the other side of this thing. The vaccinations are happening, um, and we're, we're getting ready. 
Uh, it's good to see faces again. Um, you know, I, I've, I've loved looking in your eyes. I can't wait to see your smiles. And uh, we're getting there, man. We're, we're getting there. And, and, and you know, uh, we followed the science here. We've been listening uh, to those. And, and we know our governor said keep things in place till June 2nd. And so we're working that out. But, but, but uh, it's days coming soon where all the chairs are going to be back in here. And we'll be figuring out uh, how, to, how to do this thing together. And so I'm really, really, really heartened. Um, I was I was telling my therapy corner over here, um, Connie and Johnny. If you don't know them, they're great therapists. Um, my big sisters and I said I can't go through another year of this. <laughs> like, and so hope is coming, man. Uh, let's let's hold on to it. Just like that video did. I want you to look really intensely today. You know, I, people say to me, what, is, what are the scariest words of Scripture? And oftentimes preachers run to Revelation or to Daniel, you know, all these like apocalyptic things. I always tell people the scariest words Jesus ever said to me was, Chip, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. You confess me with your lips, but your heart is so far from me. I know Mar Marcus Anthony said, lend me your ears. I'm going to say, lend me your hearts today. Dig in deep, because we're back on the teaching series. Pastor Steve's down here. He kicked us off with this. Weighed in the balance and found wanting. That scripture comes from Daniel chapter 5. If you know anything about it, uh, Babylon was this great empire, but their star was setting from the sky. Anytime you get too pumped up and full of yourself or your country or your empire or worldly things, God has a way of bringing it down. And, and, and they were going down the tubes. Persia was coming. The army was at the, at the gates. And Belshazzar, who was not the king, the king had literally gone insane. It was his son. He decided, oh, well, let's eat, drink, and be merry. That's the American way. Let's just ignore it. <laughs> Maybe it'll go away. And all of a sudden, this hand came and started writing on the wall. You ever heard the handwritings on the wall? Do you know all the great cliches come from the Bible? <laughs> that, that's where it comes from. And, and the second word that was written was, you're weighed in the balance and found wanting. And, uh, you know, Pastor Steve kicked us off by saying, this isn't about do we measure up, right? Pastor, that's what you said. We it's not about do we measure up. As he said, Jesus dealt with that on the cross. We are all accepted. We are all equally loved. We all carry the imagio Dei, the image of God. And shame on us for acting like some people don't bear that. Right? So we're, you know, the ground is even at the foot of the cross. Someday the church will figure that out. But in the meantime, we continue to, to, I think what this handwriting on the wall was, how are we doing? How are we doing in our walk with Christ, right? Like, I don't like to get on the scale. I know all you guys do. But you need to do it and look down and see how I'm doing. And it's usually pretty depressing. But anyhow, we, we just want to know, how are, we, how are we doing? How are we growing? How are we becoming more and more into the likeness of Christ? Because the minute you quit growing is the minute we lose our usefulness. That's why Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. See, salt was very, very useful, right? But if it loses its usefulness, it's just kind of thrown out. And only as we continue to grow. So we're measuring ourselves. And our vision team that work with us uh, to refine our mission, what does it mean to widen the circle? You heard Rodney read that to you. It means to connect diverse people who share a common brokenness with Jesus. 
That, that's who we are, right? And, and our vision team said, well, how do we measure ourselves? How do we measure how we're doing? And the first measure was love. And you heard, we talked about that for two weeks, um, about love. How am I loving my neighbor the way God loves them? Right, not Hallmark love, the way God loves them. How am I doing on that, right? And we talked about, Paul said in Romans, if you love your neighbor, you fulfill the law. Like we're so anal in religion. Am I, am I taking the Lord's name in vain? Am I doing this, am I doing this? Paul said, just love your neighbor. Just love them the way God loves them. And you're fulfilling all the law. They asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? How do I do, remember what he said? Love God, love others. That's what he said. And we go, no, that's too simple. We gotta add 7,522 rules, right? Just love God and love others. As we do that, we fulfill the law. And we talked about two of the ways to do that, and I hated preaching that to you, I really did, because I'm such a hypocrite. It's patience and forgiveness. Everybody boo that again, I know. But aren't you glad it says patience is a fruit of the Spirit, meaning we don't do it. It's born in us. And the second measure our team gave us is very much like it. It's called humility. How am I putting the needs of others ahead of my own? See, and, and humility is something you can't do on your own. Right? Like if you, anybody know humble people? I've, I've met some humble people. If you go to them and ask them how to be humble and they answer you, you have to go talk to somebody else. <laughs> you can't do it. It's a, it's a byproduct of something. And I'm gonna to get to that at the end of this message. It's a byproduct. It's not something we, we try to do. See, I, one of the best advice I ever got uh, or teaching from a pastor was he said to me, and that's why I don't think Christianity's a religion. You've heard me say that forever. I don't think Jesus came to start a new religion. The world had enough of those. You know, do this, do this, do this, do this. Then God will answer your prayers. Then God will love you. Then God will take you to heaven. That's religion. Jesus said, you can't do anything. I'm gonna do it for you and receive it by grace, and then you want to live a certain way. But religion, he said to me, is a big difference between a morally restrained heart and a supernaturally changed heart. See, a morally restrained heart, I'm gonna love my neighbor because I have to. I'm gonna be humble because I'm supposed to. See, the, all, you're, all we're doing there is, is we're restraining our natural instincts. But the Bible, as I read it about humility, it only appears as our hearts are supernaturally changed. If any is in Christ, there's a new creation. That's why when Israel was condemned for their sins of idolatry, they who had been former slaves now were taking slaves themselves. And they were, you know, filling their bellies with food and their, their pockets with gold. And God uh, said, you have begun to worship other things. And they went into exile in Babylon. And Ezekiel came to them as a prophet when they were getting ready to be let back into the land. And he said, God says to you, I'm going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to teach you to love again. <clears throat> I'm going to teach you to be humble. I'm going to teach you to walk humbly with your God, right? And that's what humility is. It's a product of a supernaturally changed heart. So real quickly, I want to talk about um, why is this so hard for us to do? What does it look like when we do it? And how do we get there? Okay, all that in 20 minutes. 
Ready? Some of you got degrees. I got my counselor over here going, what? You're going to do that in 20 minutes now. Um, but seriously, what, why is this so hard for us to do? Paul, if you heard him read, um, and, and as our mission statement says, we have a common brokenness. We have a, 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 a brokenness. It's called self-centeredness. It's called ego. You ever know what ego stands for? Edging God out. <laughs> We put ourselves at the center of the solar system and everything revolves around us. That's why, that's why it kills me. Like people like Copernicus and Galileo, they were persecuted by the church. Why? Because the earth was not the center of the solar system. See, we tell on ourselves because we feel that we have to be at the center, right? And the truth is that's our common brokenness. And Paul gives us this amazing letter where he teaches us about the world we all want. Put that verse up there. It says, be what? Like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Do you know that's the world we all want? It really is. We hunger for a unified world. We hunger for common love and common unity. Uh, but, but, but we fail at it because we can't move ourselves out of the way. So Paul says, here's how you get there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do you know what selfish ambition means literally in the Greek? A spirit of divisiveness. Wow. Hello, right? I mean, we know who the author of that is, divide and conquer, right? There is an enemy afoot to keep us in this spirit of divisiveness. And he, Paul says it comes out of what he calls vain conceit. The word there in the Greek is kinodoxius. I had to work on that all night. Kinodoxius is a form of the word kenosis, which means to empty. But kinodoxius means empty of doxa glory. Here's our problem. We're walking around glory empty. We're walking around with a God-sized hole in our hearts. See, we were created to be in relationship with God, to stand in God's presence, and to receive God's favor, to receive God's glory. But because we went our own way and decided to be our own Savior and Lord, we're glory empty. We're hungry for it so bad. We'll do anything to get power, position, prestige. We'll do anything to get respect. We'll do anything to say, am I significant? I'm not just a wave on the sand. And this happens over and over and over. People do this all the time. Our, our, our deepest fear is that we'll be forgotten. You ever see the movie Amadeus? I know I'm dating myself. It's an old movie about Mozart. Mozart, this gifted, amazing uh, composer, right? And he comes on the scenes and there's an old salt composer named Solieri and he hates Mozart. He wants him dead. What's Solieri's problem? He's a great composer. He, he's, one, he's being forgotten. And that's, I, I heard a politician one time say, he said, I'd way rather be hated than ignored. Think about that. Because we're glory empty. My wife and I, in our very first ministry, we did urban ministry in low-income areas, high-crime areas. We loved to work with the kids and children in poverty. And we were working with a lot of young men coming out of gangs. And, and these young men, you know, when they first were coming in, man, they were so hypersensitive. Like they were ready to shoot you or punch you for anything. You step on their shoe, oh, you disrespected me, right? What, was it, what were they saying? Their families had discarded them. Society had discarded them. People had overlooked them and they're hungry for glory. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, at the highest executive office or, or a low position. We're wandering around hungry for glory. 
hungry to know that we matter, right? And, and that's our common brokenness. And, and it leads to pride, right? It leads to pride. Pride is what? Using others to fulfill our own needs, right? Because I'm, because I'm empty. I'm hungering something. But Paul said, here's the way to get there. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? You're not gonna get there on your own, right? But, but you, need, you need a supernaturally changed heart. And so what it looks like when we get on the other side of it is this thing called humility, which humility, valuing others above yourselves, humility is a sign of spiritual health. It's not something you work toward. It, 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 it's, it's a... It's a sign that you're able to lay yourself aside. There's an old hymn that used to say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Learning to be humble. And that's why Paul says, in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Look not to your own interests. Did you hear that? But to the interests of others. Now, let me say this to you. Humility if you study the Greco-Roman world, like I, I, I have a double major in philosophy and religion in my bachelor's, and if you read Plato, the great philosophers, humility is never a virtue. It was not regarded highly in the Greco-Roman world. You know who was humble? You know who was meek and, and subservient? Humility was ascribed to slaves. And Paul himself, as a Pharisee, prayed every day, thank you, God, you didn't make me a slave. Nobody valued humility, but the Bible 270 times uses humility in the positive. This was a revolutionary word. And Jesus was showing us that the way up is the way down. The way to be truly rich is to give. The way to truly be great is to serve. That's what, that's what, Paul shows us in the end of this, right? That, that, that this, is, this is a virtue. This is putting other need ahead of ourselves, not begrudgingly, right? I mean, it just kills me how this thing became so controversial. Like, oh my gosh, I gotta put cloth on my face. I'm going to die. Like, come on, you know, it's just being able to say, maybe I can humble myself on behalf of my neighbors and others. Maybe I'm willing to do like Jesus did, to get down on my hands and knees and wash feet if need be, to build up this community and this world that we're all so hungry for. And it starts with us. You're not gonna solve it through an election. You're not gonna solve it by getting a degree. We're gonna solve it by becoming in the like-mindedness of Christ and humbling ourselves. That's what Terry Rodney read. You hear that little verse from Peter? Peter was a braggocious, he was me. I relate to Peter. Ready, fire, aim. <laughs> right? That's, that's Peter. Oh, even though all should leave you, Lord, I'll never deny you. That lasted for like 30 seconds. He was the only one dumb enough to say it out loud. And Peter, when he got humble, you know what he said? He said, humble yourselves beneath the mighty hand of God, that God might lift you up in due time. He discovered that, right? He discovered what that was, what that was like. Um, I, I, I love Denzel Washington. He's like one of my favorite actors. Only thing I hold against him is my wife really loves him. Kinda, that's kind of my own neurotic, you know, issues. 
But Denzel is a wonderful speaker. If you ever heard him, he's done commencements and that. And Denzel talked about when he first got his main actor gig, he went home to his mother. His mother was a praying mother. His mother was uh, a religious person. She, she literally had prayer circles praying for her son, you know, that he would not go astray in his pursuit of fame. And he said, one day I came home and said, Mom, did you ever think I'd make it this big? Do you ever think I'd get this place where I could take care of everybody? And I did this and I did that. And she said, oh, you did it by yourself, did you? She said, I'll tell you what you can do. You can take this mop and this bucket and go clean the windows, superstar. And Denzel said, my mama was telling me, boy, stop it right there. Do you realize how many people prayed for you? Do you realize how many prayer talks I gave you? And he said, my mother had a way of throwing holy water to settle my behind. <laughs> he, she, she knew the way up is the way down, right? That, 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 uh, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, a, a wonderful book called The Screwtape Letters. And Screwtape was this old devil, and he had like junior devils. He's writing to this nephew of his, a junior devil, how to tempt human beings. And Wormwood, his junior devil, came to Screwtape and said, I'm having trouble with this patient. They called us patients. That they were, I'm having trouble with this human because he's humble. And Screwtape said, good, let him know that he is. Tell him he's humble. So he'll take pride in being humble. And then we got him. See, humility is goodness unaware of itself. It's groundedness, right? It, it's, it's putting ourselves in, in the place of the other. Desmond Tutu is one of my heroes. Bishop Tutu, you know him, one of the architects that dismantled apartheid in South Africa, one of the last bastions of apartheid. He and Nelson Mandela, after apartheid was eradicated, they held what are called the Truth and Reconciliation Conferences. I'm gonna tell you, I have watched every video of that, I've read every book. My God, if our country would have done anything like that after slavery or apartheid in our country, we might be in a better place. But they worked hard to get to the root of hatred. And people, if you, re, if you study those, those conferences, people wept so hard they passed out. And I thought, what gave Desmond Tutu this power? You know, when he spoke, it was just, you just, just power. Everything that, you know, politicians are aspiring to, he had and didn't want it. And I read in his biography what triggered it all. He said he was like nine or 10 years old. He was walking down the sidewalk of Johannesburg with his mother. Now, during apartheid in South Africa, they had a law. If you were a black African and you were on the sidewalk and a white person was walking toward you, you were required by law to get out in the street, to get off the sidewalk and bow your head until the white person walked by. That was the law. And Tutu said they were walking down the sidewalk in Johannesburg and this white man was coming toward them and he had uh, like, you know, the vestments on that it was obvious he was an Anglican priest. And he said, my mother started to go out into the street and the man put up his finger and he went out in the street. And he took off his hat and he bowed to Bishop Tutu's mom and he. And he said, when I walked by that man, I knew that I needed to become an Anglican priest. And that act of humility sparked one of the greatest voices of reconciliation, forgiveness, and truth that the world has ever seen. See, this is what's up. The way up is the way down, right? We must clothe ourselves with humility. And Paul gives us the prescription for this. Do you, do you realize what he said if you heard that scripture that was read? He said, look not to your own interests. 
Think about that. He didn't say don't have interests. He didn't say don't have goals, don't have needs or, or wants. He didn't say that. That would be insane. We all have interests. He just said don't look at them so much. You know, C.S. Lewis in that screw tape letters I remember, I quoted for you. You know what he said in the introduction? He said, uh, I, I better read it because I'm going to forget it. Um, I had it in my head too. Y'all hang in there. I'm being, God is humbling me. <laughs> oh, well, here it is. He said, a vote for Satan is a vote for hell. And a vote for hell is endless autobiography. Do you get that? Talking about yourself so much. Thinking about yourself so much. Right? And you can do that by being, we think of people think about themselves too much, being way arrogant and bold and proud. You can do that by being self-defeatist and self-pity. It's the same thing. You're just looking at yourself too much. So somebody said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. Paul says, don't look at yourself all the time. Don't always be looking at that. Look to God, look to Jesus, look to others, right? Like that, it's what we're looking at, it's what we're obsessed with. You know, self-awareness is a good thing. You know, that's why I've got Lori and Steve and Terry and Scott and all these people around me to make sure I'm, I'm I've got my, and my wife, <laughs> most importantly. So, you know, because self-awareness is good. Sometimes our blind spots, you know, are, are where sin lurks, right? Self-awareness is a good thing. Self-preoccupation is pathological. It's a psychosis. And Paul said, just you're looking at yourself too much. Um, Pastor Terry, there's a, a writer we both like, and she shared something with me. Um, he's a, a Christian writer, and he was traveling, and he went to um, Copenhagen. I've never been there. If you had, don't tell me. Uh, but no, he went to Copenhagen, and there was this church. It's called the Church of Our Lady. And I guess they have some of the, you know, these treasured Christian sculptures of all the heroes of the faith. And he went in there, and he saw he was captivated. There was a... There was a, a statue of Christ on the cross down by the altar. And he walked down there and he saw that Jesus' eyes were closed. And he thought, oh, Jesus is praying. But there was somebody kneeling at the altar that looked up at him and said, if you want to see his eyes, you need to get on your knees. And he got down on his knees and he looked up and he saw the eyes of Christ looking at him. And he said, there was so much grace and so much passion. It, it literally ruined me. You know... We need to get down on our knees to look into the eyes of Christ. Humble ourselves. Get ourselves out of the way. Don't be so preoccupied with yourself. And that's the way. That's the cure, friends. That's how we get there, right? Throw up that last verse if we can, uh, folks, or the first verse of Philippians where it says, if then there is any encouragement. Here, look at this. If then. Any scientists in the crowd? I know we got a few out there. Any math people? Do you recognize that language? If, then, right? If A, then B, it's formulaic. And what's Paul saying? If then there is any encouragement, what? In Christ. If there is any consolation, consoling of your soul from love, from the love of Jesus Christ, if there's any sharing in the spirit, if there's any compassion and sympathy, then you can do these things. 
if you can focus on what Jesus Christ has done for you. Why does Paul, when he says all these teaching, go to this hymn? If you read your Bible, the, 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 the verse is like, they, they think Paul's reciting a hymn, you know? That, that though he was in the form of God, he did not view equality with God as something to be exalted, but he emptied himself. That's that word, kenosis. Right? The Gnostics started a heresy saying he emptied himself of being God. Jesus didn't empty himself of being God. How do you raise the dead if you emptied yourself of being God? How do you heal the blind if you emptied yourself of being God? How do you feed 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish if you emptied yourself of being God? So what did Jesus empty himself of? He emptied himself of power, position, and privilege. He had all glory in heaven. He had all the glory that we are longing for we are glory empty but he emptied glory so that we could receive it he showed us the way taking on the form of a servant any of you grow up playing the game king of the hill <laughs> I did that in my backyard we had this big mound in my backyard we'd be eight nine years old and man we'd play that for hours you, you remember that game you get up on the hill what you do you push everybody down so you can stay up on the hill isn't that life isn't that our common brokenness do you know Jesus never played king of the hill instead he decided to be king of the world and he went down to lift us up he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant and was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, how many you want a therefore in your life? Therefore, God highly exalted him that at the name of Jesus, at the way of Jesus, at the way of putting others' needs ahead of our own, we might experience the exaltation of God. We might experience the glory that we've been so hungry for by following Jesus and being willing to give it away. And that, that, that's a measure. That's how we weigh ourselves. How are you doing on that? Don't answer. I don't want to either. <laughs> but, but we need to acknowledge our common brokenness and look not at ourselves. Look to Jesus. Remember the old song? Just look to Jesus. Look at what he has done for us. Look at him giving himself away that we can be made whole. Right? That, that's the piece. I want to leave you with a little uh, word I learned in uh, Chinese, Mandarin Chinese. In fact, I didn't want to be that white European guy up here quoting Chinese. So I checked with one of our Chinese leaders in the church, Flora Mark, and I said, run this by your family, make sure I'm not, because I didn't want to quote something and then find out it made like horse doo-doo or something, right? Like, so I, I, I vetted this. I vetted this, so you know. Flora said her dad said, your pastor got it right on. I'm like, okay, here she is, all right. I'm telling you. I'm not going to be that dude. I'm not going to be all full of my white Anglo-Saxon Protestant privilege up here and claim I know things about stuff I don't. But I, I did say this, sister. I told my wife, if I get back down to my fighting weight, like what I played college ball in, I'm going to do like my son did and get a tattoo of that word. Uh, it's, it's Kian Shun. And I probably slaughtered it, but I'm doing the best I can. Kian Shun. Kian Shun. And if you know in the, in the, in the Chinese language too, the, the language is pictographs. Like they, you know, they have words, but they have kind of pictorial images of it. And frikion means to have a yielding spirit. And the image there is of people putting grains together. That as we give of ourselves away, we create unity. 
And Shun is a picture of a grandchild walking, you know, kind of precariously needing to hold up to the hand of others. And I love this. This is what Jesus said to us. If we can get the spirit of Kion Shun, if we can learn that we're just toddlers, we don't have everything together. We're reaching up for the hand of our Holy Father and we're reaching out to the hands of others and we can have a yielding spirit that we can learn as Jesus did to humble ourselves and empty ourselves and therefore <laughs> experience the glory that we've all been hungry for that God is so desperate to give us. I'm gonna pray a spirit of Kion Shun, right out on the internet, right out in the world, um, that we might learn that, a yielding spirit. Take Peter's advice, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that God might exalt you in due time. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let it be in our hearts, and in our world, in Jesus' name, amen.